guys, and welcome to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the unfiltered mental health podcast dedicated to the things no one feels like they can talk about in real life. My name's Christina, I'm your host, and as I'm recording, it is late Sunday night. I just got back from hiking with my roommate. We were gone for eight hours, and I am exhausted. Like, I can't remember the last time I was this tired without sleep aids. Like, my whole body is just sore. So I'm going to make this real quick, but one thing that I wanted to do in this intro is something a little different. Earlier today, my roommate and I were talking about meditation and some meditation practices that she's been incorporating into her daily routine, and she brought up the concept of gratitude lists, which... If you don't know, it's just waking up and listing five or ten things that you're thankful for and why. In the past, I've done it as part of my treatment plan. I've done it with friends. Um, For a while, my sister and I were texting each other gratitude lists every day. So yeah, I, I think it is really important to kind of remind yourself that even if your life feels shitty, there's always something to be thankful for, even if it's stupid, like the fact that you brushed your teeth or, you know, you found a dime on the sidewalk. I don't know. That's a stupid example. But anyway, I wanted to share my gratitude list for today with you guys. It's only five things because, uh, again, I want to keep this quick. Uh, Number one, the thing that I'm most grateful for right now is sparkling water. Um, I've been buying this brand from CVS. It's one liter. It's 89 cents. And it comes in a bunch of different flavors. Uh, The brand is Gold Emblem, if you're super curious. Um, I'm drinking the strawberry kiwi flavor right now. They were out of my fave, which is black cherry. The coconut pineapple is also really good. It tastes like you're drinking a pina colada. I like them because they're very sweet. It says that there's no aspartame in it. It says it's flavored naturally, but it it does taste very sweet. So if you're used to drinking like LaCroix, you might not like this, but I have a huge sweet tooth and I am thoroughly enjoying them. I drink at least one a day. And that brings me to the next thing I'm thankful for, which is my sobriety. As of last Thursday, I have been sober for nine weeks. And honestly, if you told me that that would be the case, like a few months ago, I would have laughed in your face. It hasn't been easy. I am on medication to help with my cravings, and that's helped a lot. I've also been replacing it with other harmful behaviors, so, you know, the battle's far from over, but I will say that I'm very proud of myself, and I know that life would be a lot harder if I were still drinking, so. Anyway, the sparkling water helps make me feel fancy and gives me something to hold in my hand. Yeah. Um, Number three on my gratitude list is the proximity to nature. Like, when I moved to Seattle, I had no idea really what I was getting into in terms of proximity to all these amazing trails. It's just so beautiful, and I'm just so lucky to live here. Like, we, we barely drove an hour outside of the city and just surrounded by mountains everywhere you look. It was so gorgeous, and... I was honestly just blown away because I've lived in the South and I've lived on the East Coast, but I've never really seen mountains like this before. And honestly, it was just something else. And I'm extremely grateful that I live where I do and also that I'm capable of going on these hikes physically. Like I know a lot of people can't. And so I guess this is like a two for one item on the gratitude list. Uh, Number four on the list is chipmunks because my roommate and I saw a bunch today and they made me smile so hard. I took a video of one of them eating blueberries from our backpack and you know when you look at some animals and you think, I don't know why you exist, but I am not complaining because honestly like I, I feel like chipmunks don't really serve much of a purpose. They're just insanely cute and they make me happy. So thankful for them. The last item on my gratitude list is I am visiting my family at the end of this week. And for the first time in years, all seven of us kids will be together under the same roof. 
and that's going to be really fun. I'm so excited to see them. A, a little bit nervous because, uh, you know, I, my family's crazy and big and loud and there's a lot of drama and whatnot, but mostly I'm just really excited and um, I'll let you guys know how it goes. So yeah, that's a quick gratitude list for you. I encourage you guys to write down your own stuff and send them to me or make a post about it. I don't know. It, it really does help put things in perspective. And I do think that being happy has a lot to do with your attitude, among other things. But starting the day by listing these things really, really does help. With that said, I'm just going to jump right into my interview with my guest. We're going to be talking about mental health as it pertains to long-term relationships. Um, Rachel, my guest, has been a supporter of the show since day one, and I'm super excited to have her on. As always, if you guys have a topic you want to hear about or you want to be a guest, feel free to email me, picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com. Or DM me on Instagram, Facebook, any of those outlets. I always love hearing from you guys. It literally never gets old. So here is my conversation with Rachel. I hope you guys enjoy and have a wonderful rest of your Monday. It, it's kind of surreal for me to be talking to you right now. It It's surreal for me too because like I, I'm so used to hearing your voice and like Every other Monday, and in the beginning, every Monday, I would listen to the podcast. So I'm a little scary, a little nervous. Um, what's your name, and how old are you, and um, what what do you want to tell the listeners about yourself? So my name is Rachel. I'm 25. I've moved around a lot. I grew up in Jersey, but I've lived in New York, San Francisco, New Orleans, and now Miami Beach. I work as a server, but I just enrolled in school. Oh my god, so, I remember you posting that you were, like, applying, and uh, yeah, you were nervous yeah, about yeah. it. Like, didn't you have to jump through a bunch of hoops to prove residency or something? Yeah, so uh, the school, which is just a community college for right now, um, they made me send every single pay stub that I ever got from both of my jobs, and every single page of my lease, all of my um, rental receipts, what else did they ask for? That's they a asked lot. for a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it but was a little it. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of you. Um, what do you oh, want to study you. eventually? Nutrition, probably. Okay, very cool. Yeah, I would hope that nutrition would help me with my eating disorder. Hopefully, not make it worse. But I feel like educating myself on nutrition would would help a lot. Do you feel like you're not super educated on nutrition right now? I feel like I get the basis of things like macros, micros, uh, counting calories. But obviously it's gone in a, a harmful direction. Yeah, yeah, especially the calorie thing. How long have you been struggling with an eating disorder? Oh, so that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, as far as I can remember, my mom had pretty severe anorexia and probably still does. I actually don't speak to her anymore. I remember growing up in third grade, I played soccer, and my mom looked at my thighs and went, your thighs are really big. We should put you on the Slim Fast diet. Oh, so no. instead of meals, I was drinking Slim Fast. Um, my mother would cry if she was above like 98 pounds. So food has always been an issue for me. It's really hard when you grow up with a parent like that because you just kind of think it's the norm. Like you don't really have a healthy expectation about food. Yeah, and you tend to demonize food, and I, I remember she would always make comments about people's weight, um, so that was something that I grew up judging people on, almost, like, oh, that person is really skinny, I want to be like them, like, my mother would always point out super skinny girls and be like, wow, that that's amazing, I wish I was that skinny, in reality, my mother was skin and bones, um, so she never taught me every body is beautiful and the judgment of seeing somebody skinnier than me causes jealousy in that sense, like yeah. the judgment. Yeah, I had a very similar experience growing up. Just not a lot of body positivity or like appreciation for all sizes. It was very narrow view of what you were supposed to look like. Exactly. If you don't look like a supermodel, then you're failing, you're doing a bad job. 
Um, what was it like growing up in your family? Or do you have any siblings? I have a younger brother who I pretty much raised. Okay. And then I have two older half-sisters. Um, the one didn't even know that I existed until about six years ago when I rekindled my relationship with my other older sister. So that was pretty interesting. Both sisters are from my dad's side. Um, and then my little brother is my whole brother. Was your mom your dad's second wife? Third, actually. So the first sister, Mandy, um, she is 38 now, I believe. Um, that was my dad's first marriage. And then my second sister, I believe she's 32 now. Um, that was my dad's second marriage. And then my mother was my dad's third marriage. That's crazy. Did you know Mm -hmm. about your other siblings growing up? Like how often did you interact with them? Your half siblings? So my oldest sister, Mandy, was actually adopted by my uncle. So I saw her occasionally at birthday parties and like family reunions and cookouts. But Shay, the middle sister, I didn't know her at all because she got adopted by her grandmother on her mom's side. So she actually didn't know that I existed for a while. It was just it was strange because I knew they were my sisters but it never felt like they were. I was going to ask, like, were you able to talk with them about things or were you in in any way close to them? Or at least Mandy, the one that you said you saw around? Absolutely not. Um, My mom actually told me that Mandy hated me. Um, I guess that was to kind of keep me away from her and like talking about things. I'm not sure what the motive was for that, like entirely. So it sounds like a lot of your issues come from your mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? So um, I'm diagnosed borderline personality disorder. I, I know you've spoken about that on previous episodes. Uh, Still, it's not my... very common. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, I've kind of self-diagnosed as CPTSD, another thing that you talked about on a previous podcast. But my mother was really terrible growing up. I mean, she would call me fat. She put me on on slim fast diets, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. She kind of left me to raise my brother while she was doing her thing. Um, When my parents divorced at 13, my dad lost his business and she took sole care of us. And she started doing Xanax and she started getting back into drugs, uh, Percocet and whatnot. Was she a drug addict before she had you guys? Yeah, yeah. And she she talked about it with you? Yeah, I remember growing up, she would just tell me that she used to do meth and she used to do, like, acid. She would tell me these stories about it. And I was, like, six or seven at the time. Great conversation for a child. Yeah, yeah. Looking back now, it's really surreal and terrible because if I had a kid... I would never want them to be exposed to that until they were of age and I could talk to them about the downsides of it. I don't know. She just was never a mother material, I guess. Yeah. That sounds really harsh, but... No, not everyone is meant to be a mother, and I, but I don't think society lets us express that. Yeah, yeah. We're in a society that, like, glorifies parents and especially mothers. Right. When I was... 13, I got kicked out of the house for the first time. And when I was 14, I got kicked out of the house for the second time. And I spent about two weeks out of the house, house hopping, friend to friend, sleeping on couches. I slept on a park bench for a night. Uh, and my mother did not care because she had a boyfriend at that time. And I remember people calling me and saying, oh, she's your mom. You should go apologize. You can't replace your mother. She's just stressed. People act like if you're a mom, you're a saint. But it's the opposite, as we know. Yeah. I I was just gaslit by almost everybody in my life. So when did you cut contact with her? Hang on, I have to think. 2017, when I moved out of her house. So I did a lot of moving in and moving out. And when I was 17, I moved back in with her. Um to help her with the bills. I got a full-time job because I had dropped out. Uh, We were doing a lot of moving. I got a job to help her move back in. So every time she would get a boyfriend, I would be kicked out, even though my name was on the lease and all of the bills. 
And then when I was, I want to say 22, I left for good. And I knew that I was leaving for good because things had gotten really bad. She had taken all of my furniture and all of my items and like thrown them out of the second story window in a rage. Um, I had to put a bolt lock on my door that locked from the inside and the outside. And I had a separate key because if not, she'd go destroy everything that I owned. Oh my God. Um, And that was the final straw for me. I moved out February of that year and I rented a room from a friend of a friend who was (laughs) a whack job in himself. He had a lot of issues, alcoholism, and he would get mad at me for coming home late because I, I, I guess I made some noise walking up the steps or whatever. Which I get. He was an older guy, and he had another person living there, and his his patience was just running thin. So I left there, and I moved in with my ex-boyfriend, and I found out he was cheating on me. So I lived in my car for about six months. That's a lot for someone to go through at such a young age. Yeah, it definitely put me in, in a weird position. I wouldn't go back and change it now because I learned a lot. Especially like living in the car, I learned minimalism and I learned how to kind of be on my own and save money. Which, you know, those are important life skills, but it sucks that you had to go through that to learn them. (laughs) Yeah, I wish my mom just would have taught me those skills. Was there any specific thing that would set her off that you did? Her fear of abandonment, definitely. She didn't like the fact that I had friends. She was super triggered by my ex-boyfriend because we would spend a lot of time together because we had a job together. He would sleep over. I would sleep over his house. And she basically banned him from my house. And I said, absolutely not. My name is on the lease. Yeah. I pay most of the bills. You have a part-time job. And that's what started the Armageddon with the furniture and my belongings. Yeah. That's crazy. So you said you were diagnosed with borderline? Yes. In 2016, I tried to kill myself um, during a fight that my mother and I had. I had just crashed a car and my ex-boyfriend was cheating on me and I felt like I had nothing. So I tried to kill myself. I ended up in the mental hospital where they diagnosed me as um, bipolar type 2. What's the difference between type 1? So type 1 is categorized by the mania being more prevalent and the mania being worse. Type two is more depression. And then when you get manic, you get hypomanic, which is a lesser form of mania. Okay. So it's essentially a big roller coaster, but normally it's about a month or two of, of depressed, a month or two of mania. And after the mental hospital, continuing on from being in the mental hospital, being diagnosed as bipolar, I went to an outpatient program. It was partial hospitalization. And they were talking about my medication that I had been on, and they were asking me if it was helping. I was like, yeah, I guess so. And the more they looked into my past and the more they talked to me, they said it's more likely that I have uh, BPD than anything. Now, had you heard of BPD at the time? Yeah, yeah. Because my mother had so many problems, I got very into looking into psychology and diagnoses. So I had known about the cluster B personality disorders. What are we cluster B? What is that? So cluster B is a type of personality disorder. I believe it's caused by traumatic experiences. At least it's uh, theorized to be. So in cluster B, there's histrionic or histrionic personality disorder. What are the other ones? Like PTSD and stuff like that? No, no. There's only four in cluster B borderline, narcissistic personality disorder, and antisocial. Okay. I know I've I've talked about those before on the podcast, but I haven't heard that term cluster B before. Yeah, I think it's just a way of like categorizing. I think they also have cluster A and cluster C. I'm unsure. But that's not your job to educate everyone on those. No. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just like really fascinated. No, you're good. So you were in the outpatient program Mm -hmm. and they brought up the fact that you might actually have BPD. How did you feel about that? I had an inkling because a lot of the BPD diagnosis I related to black and white thinking or splitting is one of them. It happens a lot with people. You either view them as all bad or all good. Also unstable relationships and unstable emotions 
uh, fear of abandonment, chronic emptiness, depression, drug issues, eating disorders. That's all kind of clumped into borderline. And that all applied to you at the time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Were you... So I wasn't surprised. Sorry. Um, Was your medication changed? No, actually, I was on Geodon, which is a mood stabilizer. And after they started bringing up my mom and I was talking about my issues, they asked if they could have a meeting with my mother. And that didn't go too well. I asked her about it and she was like, absolutely not, blah, blah, blah. So... I can't say that she made me stop going, but she kind of did. She had a way of making my brother and I do things by either telling us that she's going to get rid of our cats or uh, oh, kill no. herself or... Yeah. That's so fucked up. Yeah. I have a story about my cat, Ruben, which is really horrible. I don't know if this is like too horrible for the podcast, but she threw him off of our balcony Uh, We had this little landing, and I don't know what happened to him. I don't know. That is so So I I think that he got hurt and crawled away and probably died somewhere. Oh, my God. I'm so Mm -hmm. sorry. That's absolutely terrible. But it it just goes to demonstrate how much your mom was, you know, struggling herself. That's something that a normal, healthy person doesn't do. Yeah. The reason why she was so mad at the cat was because the cat only liked me because as a kitten, he only was around me and she just didn't like the fact that the cat didn't like her. So that was her way to get back at me for doing whatever I had done. Wow. I Mm -hmm. guess that fed into her whole fear of abandonment. Yeah. Now, do you yourself have a fear of abandonment? I do, but I tend to be more of a quiet borderline. I tend to let things fester in my head versus having a complete outbreak of crazy emotion. And there are different scales. Nothing, ironically enough, is black and white, especially when it comes to mental illness. Yeah, you can say that again. (laughs) How does your BPD affect you in everyday life? I get really anxious around people. Um, I tend to think that everybody hates me or everybody's mad at me. Friendship-wise, I feel left out sometimes, and that makes me as depressed, as stupid as that sounds. No, no, I think a lot of us can relate to that. But mostly in everyday life, I would say feeling anxious and feeling like everybody is mad at me and everybody's against me, and then in turn be getting upset with them when there was real problem to begin with I just kind of made it up in my head like everything and then they'll talk to me and I'll be like oh okay never mind I'm not upset anymore so um one of the characteristics of borderline is unstable relationships do you find that that has applied to you in the past absolutely all right so I I I find myself being attracted to very like problematic people um and people who generally don't treat me well, at least I used to. Over the years, how many relationships would you say you've had? Serious relationships? I would say three, maybe four, if you want to count the guy who ended up stalking me. But that was only about a four-month relationship, so I don't know how serious that actually was. So I got my first serious boyfriend at age 16, and he was 18 at the time. He had a problem with pot. He had a problem with his parents, with authority. He was very, like, antisocial, hated people. He wanted to isolate me a lot of the time. Didn't like that I had friends. Can you see the pattern here? Yep. (laughs) I mean, I can still see how a person like that might come across as attractive to a 16-year-old. Yeah, he was, like, the brooding, moody type, and I, I was rebellious and I liked staying out late and like smoking pot at ever and we were very on and off I'm trying to think even how it ended I think one day I had been living with him for a few months at that point and I wanted to go to my friend's high school graduation and he physically held me in his basement and wouldn't let me go and I waited until he went to go visit some friends in Philly over the bridge And I packed up all of my stuff, I packed up my cat, and I left. Damn, where did you go from there? My mom's house, again. When you're with someone, how long does it usually take to talk about your uh, mental illness? Or does it come up naturally? Like, I'm trying to think. 
it's still a struggle now, even though I'm in a, in a great relationship, very loving. Um, jealousy is a big one for me, especially in romantic relationships. Because you said one of your exes was cheating on you, right? Yeah, so this was a guy who I had met on Twitter, and we instantly were, like, very attracted to each other. And from the moment we hung out, we spent almost every single day together for about three years. He would disappear for weeks at a time sometimes, and he would show up on, like, Twitter with a new girlfriend, or I would see him on Instagram with some girl. So a lot of that caused my mental illness to kind of flare up, I want to say. Yeah, it definitely doesn't make it easy if you're dating someone who's more of a public figure, like, because they're going to be out and about. I was going to say he was a band guy who had, like, a lot of friends, like a huge group of friends. He would go play shows and all the girls would go nuts over him. He always took advantage of that. I don't want to say he never took the didn't take the chance to cheat on me because I don't know that for sure, but I I feel it. I know it. So do you think that affected the relationships after that? Like your ability to trust them? Absolutely. So I've only had one relationship after him and it's my current one. And we've been together for about two years now. And in the beginning I was very mistrusting of him. It was actually about a year ago. He, he went out with a group of friends from work And he was out until 5 a.m. and his phone had died. And I lost it on him. I absolutely lost it. I was crying and I was like ready to end it. I was ready to go live in my car again and move out. Because it's all or nothing. It's like black and white. Yeah. And my previous trust issues just made it 10 times worse. Because when you go through being cheated on all the time for three years and dealing with it, I I feel like your brain just jumps to the worst possible thing. Totally. And that was actually one of my my points um, that I have written down right here. The impact of bad relationships and shitty people on mental illnesses. Yeah, talk about that. Um, The relationship with the band guy started, and we were together for about three months. He had a job with me. We were so close, and I felt like he was my best friend in the entire world. I had isolated myself from almost everybody else. And he just disappeared one day for about two months. He got involved with this girl that I found out from Twitter, dating in the 21st century. Hello. (laughs) Um, I I said something to him and he came back and then he lived with me for maybe a month because he had been kicked out of his house. And of course, I have empathy for that. So I'm like, of course, let me take you in. Let me take care of you. Blah, blah, blah. But he would leave to go to shows And I would see him liking girls' pictures and, like, pictures with girls. And just slowly, it kind of drove me a little little nutty because I would spend hours, like, looking through his likes on Instagram and Twitter and looking for any little sign that he was screwing some girl. And it made me super obsessive. And it also made me super paranoid to the point where I felt like I couldn't trust anybody It really made me an obsessive, awful type of person. I didn't feel like myself anymore because I constantly had to have like a leash on him and I constantly had to be doing nothing but checking on him. So I didn't even have time for myself. Yeah, that's no way to have a relationship at all. Yeah. How much of that do you think was your own like mental illness and how much do you think was just like how anyone would respond to something like that? I think a lot of it was pretty normal but the way that I reacted in on myself yeah you said you festered a lot I festered I got back into self-harm my eating disorder went absolutely nuts I like wouldn't eat at all I was passing out because I was like what's wrong with me am I not skinny enough for him and it was also like a sense of control I felt like I couldn't control anything else in my life yeah so I was like controlling my food to the T I was using drugs I was super depressed, and the time that I tried to kill myself, he had actually completely left me. Um, I found out that he was in a relationship from Facebook, and then I had crashed my car. My mother and I were were in an issue, so I I took it out on myself more than I should have. And it sucks because when you are struggling in that way, like, coming from the opposite point of view, like, I know he was a piece of shit. I'm not, like, arguing for him or anything. 
But if you are in a relationship with someone who's mentally ill like that, it's hard because you're simultaneously being pushed away, but you're also kind of pushing them away. Like, you're not making it easy to be with either. At least, like, exactly. that's how I found it to be the case for myself. It's like a cycle. It absolutely is. It's It's tough because he would do something and then I would freak out and then he would pull away and then he also was dealing with a lot of his own stuff. He had a... He had a drug addiction. Um, He was never really too open about his feelings. But as far as I know, he also dealt with like this chronic emptiness that he felt like he had to fill up with everything. He was always like bored with his life. He always needed to do something else. He always needed to see someone else. He always needed to feel something different. And I think that's also important to talk about, like communicating that kind of stuff, because No one's a shitty person for no reason. Nothing happens in a vacuum. But you have to talk about it with your partner or else, you know, you have situations like that where you don't trust each other and you're miserable and you're just collapsing in on each other. Yeah, we both drove each other absolutely nuts. So that's how not to have a relationship (laughs) when you're mentally ill. Big time. (laughs) Um, But your relationship now is good. How long have you known this guy? So I actually met him through the other guy. So they they were high school friends and I had met Dan, that's his name, through the dude. And we became pretty close friends instantly, very open about our feelings and stuff. We would talk about a lot of different things. And we actually got stuck in a car together for about three hours while my ex-boyfriend disappeared. And we just sat there and we talked about life. So I've known him for about five or six years now um and he slowly kind of pulled away from his friend because he saw how badly his friend was treating me and he would send me instagram messages like hey how are you just checking in on you blah 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 and when i finally ended my relationship with the other guy i had gone to upstate new york to like clear my head and at the time dan was living in new york and he was like hey do you want to hang out i see you're in new york And then from there, we hung out for a couple weeks. So the rest was history. Um, Mm -hmm. So you were in New Jersey at the time? Yes. And he was in New York? Yeah. You you guys live together now, right? Yes. I moved in with him very quickly. I think two months after we started officially dating, we moved in together. I had been living um, in my car and at uh, friends' houses and stuff sometimes. And that's why... From day one, Dan was like, come move in with me. You can have the couch, blah, blah, blah. And I was always like, nope, absolutely not. I'm not moving in with you. I don't want to be a stray cat at your house. And finally, he sat me down. He was like, I don't care at all. I want you to move in with me so we can move to San Francisco because we had talked about it because he had a job offer there. Okay. And I was definitely hesitant. I felt like I was moving too fast. But you'd known myself. him for a longer time than you had yeah. been dating. Yeah, he was like, I, I want you here. I want to live together. I can't stand only seeing you once a week. And I moved in with him. And even then, I was still like a little paranoid. I knew who he was and how he acts and like how he treats other people, which... He has always treated everybody with respect. He's always been, like, super nice to people. He had an ex-girlfriend who was a little crazy, and I always saw him treat her so nicely. It was refreshing um, to see somebody, somebody like that. In the back of my mind, I was always like, what if this is an illusion? Like, what if it's just, like... Uh, my other relationships. Uh, so I let the paranoia get to me a little bit. And we were fine for a few months. And it actually started when we were moving from San Francisco to New Orleans. We had this huge fight because I had gotten super insecure about something dumb. I forget even what it was. I think it was about something on Instagram. Social media is a huge trigger for my my meltdowns. So... We'd gotten in this huge fight, and I was like, I'm sleeping in the car, I'm sleeping in the car, and I was, like, screaming at him, and he was like, please just calm down, please just calm down. So I went from, I don't want to say that I was, like, a victim of somebody toxic, but essentially, yes, I was a victim of somebody very toxic, and then I turned into that toxic person. I remember sitting in my car and thinking, 
holy shit, I am the most toxic person in the entire world. I'm like breaking this guy's heart who does nothing but love me and treat me well. And feeling so much guilt for it. At least, like, you were aware of it, though. Like, you were aware that you were acting that way, and it was detrimental to your relationship, and you were feeling remorseful about it. Yeah, and it did take a few times of me losing my absolute shit to really try to stop those behaviors in their tracks. How did you end up doing that? Uh, personally, when I'm starting to feel overwhelmed and everything feels too much and I'm about to explode... I just need to spend 10 minutes by myself. I need to decompress and like just press the off switch, whether that's closing my eyes, whether that's like reading Reddit or drinking some water or like going outside and smoking a cigarette. And does Dan know that you need this? He's learned. He's definitely learned because before he wouldn't want to give me that space because he would want to talk about that right now, immediately. We need to talk about this. We need to fix this which uh, just causes all of my emotions to come at me at once. And I, like, split on him and yell at him and say, like, horrible things to him. Even now I'm, like, saying all this stuff and I'm cringing because I still feel bad. Well, but when you're in that sort of space, you can't really be reasoned with. Like, you can't really talk about things. You do need to just go off somewhere and recharge. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that he would say would be, don't you trust me? And that was a huge trigger for for me because that's what my ex would say when I had concrete evidence of him cheating, when I would find hair in the shower that wasn't mine. And it would be, don't you trust me? So when I hear that, my brain just absolutely goes nuts. Fireworks out of my ears. No, that makes sense given your past experiences. Does he know, Mm -hmm. like, not to say that now, or... Yeah, yeah, so we both kind of know each other's triggers now, and we've learned to avoid those triggers, and we've learned to let the other person process emotions how they need to process them. So when I look at him, and I want him to process emotions the way that I do, I know that I can't hold him in that position too, because he's incapable of doing that. And same goes for me. He knows that I need to take a walk. I need to have five minutes of silence, 10 minutes of silence. So it was really about learning each other's triggers and not what to say, not what to do. And that takes time. Yeah. It's taken about two years for us to get comfortable with that too. Now, when you were first getting into the relationship with him, obviously he knew about your backstory with the other dude. Mm-hmm. Um, how much about your diagnosis did he know? I actually told him very early on, about two weeks into just hanging out, we sat down and we were sitting on his bed and we were talking about things. And I made a joke about the mental hospital and we got into talking about that. And we got into talking about BPD and bipolar and everything. And he really didn't have a reaction to me telling him that I'm BPD at all. He was just like, he was asking questions about it and he wanted to know about it more. And he was very understanding. And he even related to a few of the things like fear of abandonment and having those unstable relationships. Does he have any mental issues himself or a history of them in his family? Yeah, so he struggles with some pretty bad anxiety. Um, He used to get panic attacks a lot, like debilitating panic attacks. He has a history of depression and drug use, and he even struggled with food at one point and body image. Yeah. Sounds like you guys are just right for each other then. Yeah. (laughs) Um, A lot of the questions that I've gotten about this topic is like how you make it work when you're mentally ill and in a long-term relationship. Especially when the other person's dealing with their own shit, too. Like, what kind of things have you learned over the years? Specifically with BPD and thinking, like, he's mad at me or black and white thinking, communicating with him and asking him, hey, what's wrong? And he'll be like, absolutely nothing. I'm like, are you sure? Because I feel like you hate me right now. He'll be like, nope, I'm just stressed. And he'll tell me his stressors. I mean, it's, it's a lot easier said than done. And it's a learning curve course um communication is definitely the biggest thing and it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people no i'm 
naturally like pretty secretive. What are some ways that you've learned to communicate better? Being open about my feelings. I mean, he has to be receptive of hearing about my feelings. So it's not going to work in a one-sided relationship. With my ex, I used to try to talk about how I felt and I would just get blown off. But with Dan, he wants to ask questions. He wants to listen and he wants to actually talk about, hey, how can we fix this? Dan is the man. Yeah. Yeah, he is. (laughs) He sounds like a gem. Yeah, he's definitely helped me through a lot, a lot of stuff. And he's held me accountable, but he's also forgiven me. Well, that was another question I was going to ask how your mental illness has brought you closer to your partner. So how has it helped? Um, I'm an oversharer of feelings when I feel comfortable. And a lot of people who experience BPD are, are, are oversharers in general. Which is interesting because you said that you this. you said that you tend to hold feelings inside and let them fester. Yeah, unless I'm on the internet or unless I'm like with people that I know will be receptive. If I'm feeling like, hey, I'm insecure about this or like I saw something that like triggered me, like he had a girl from his old work that he followed on Instagram and she posted a bikini picture. He didn't like it or anything. He like scrolled past it. But like for some reason it like clicked in my head like, oh my God, I'm insecure now. And you talked about social media being toxic earlier. I'm really curious about that topic because we all know how toxic it can be for just the average person who's dating. But I'm curious to see when you bring mental illness into it, like how that just exacerbates it. Oh, (laughs) so I I turn into a private investigator. I want to know all of your exes. I want to know everything you've been through. I want to see everything that you've ever liked on social media. And it it turns into like this obsessive game for me. And I'm looking for things to hurt myself with. And I don't know where that exactly comes from. I was going to say But it happens. It's interesting you said you're looking for things to hurt yourself with because I know a lot of girls can get, you know, not just girls, people, but, you know, a lot of girls <laughs> can get really <laughs> obsessive over people and, like, looking up stuff on social media. But usually it's with the intent of hurting the other person or, like, finding shit out about the other person. When I look back, like, it's almost like this sick satisfaction of, okay, I found something on this person. Now I can have my feelings hurt. I guess I'm giving myself a reason to have my feelings hurt instead of having my feelings hurt for absolutely no reason at all, just in my head. No, that that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Like, do you feel like your default state is just to be unhappy? That sounds awful, but like, yes. My default state is I'm paranoid of you, 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 and you, and you're all doing me wrong. That's something that I need to work on still. And that brings us to another question I wanted to ask is how are you dealing with your diagnosis these days, like in and out of your relationship? Oh, this is a hard question. I've been so distracted lately. It hasn't gotten the chance to have a lasting impression on me. When I'm bored and just like in and out of work, it tends to get worse. Your diagnosis. Um, Yeah. Okay. I mean, in everyday life, I still like my coworkers. I'm like, oh, my God, I did something wrong. And then I also split on them. I'm like, this person sucks. That person's awesome. But I just have to talk myself down, I guess. A couple episodes ago, I was interviewing someone and they were talking about how they have learned to talk themselves down over the years through a lot of practice. Yeah, I, I heavily relate to that because it doesn't go away with age. You just learn how to live with it and how to not let it control you. I used to let a lot of a lot of that completely control my way of thinking and my actions. If I was splitting on somebody, I would completely avoid them. I would send them like a nasty text. Like it, it really depends what I thought they were doing or thought that they hated me for. Really, just not acting on the impulses that I feel definitely, which takes a lot of practice of feeling those impulses and not doing it. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like you're in a pretty good place? these days or are you still are there still some things you're struggling with I feel like I'm in a good place right now um I still kind of struggle with the whole eating disorder thing I mean I've been eating mostly vegan lately and that makes it easier to actually eat 
and not to feel guilty and not want to purge. The anxiety has, I mean, it's always kind of there. Sometimes I'll have a spike, but it's more of like an annoying buzzing in the back of my head these days versus like it incapacitates me and I have to go to the bathroom and like completely just sit there in the dark for like 20 minutes and not be able to do anything. Right. Um, The depression has gotten a little better. I mean... Do you think it's gotten better because you're in a healthy situation with Dan or just that you've found better coping skills over the years? A little bit of both? I have a good feeling it's because I have things to look forward to now. I mean, I'm in a happy, healthy relationship. Applying to school, I'm like finding little things that make the days easier to go by versus when I was... In my very early 20s, my only joy in life was, like, seeing my ex-boyfriend every once in a while, hoping he didn't cheat on me, and, like, doing drugs, and... How would you even advise someone who's in that phase, like, how to look forward to things? Like, how do you find the stuff? Oh, that's a loaded question. I know, I'm... Like, how did, can you, like, even sum up how you got to that point? So I had to remove myself out of my toxic environment, and I had to pinpoint what was toxic about that, and I've done a lot of thinking and a lot of talking. I've just had to pretty much slowly but surely pinpoint things that were making me unhappy or toxic things or toxic environments and just slowly weed things out. I also had to cut the cycle of whatever I was doing, um, like the blowing up. I had to cut that out or at least get a a hang of it. And it sounds like you've made progress. And I mean, it does take a lot of time. I'm still a work in progress. I mean, isn't everybody? One of our peach friends, Spencer, asked, how do you be there for your partner if you can't be there for yourself? And I thought that was really interesting because... I mean, obviously, this episode is about your experiences with long-term relationships, but not Mm -hmm. everyone is in a relationship, and I think it's really important to be able to be there for yourself, regardless of whether you're with someone or not. Absolutely. So, like, for instance, if something happened to you and Dan, like, tomorrow, how would you react to that? I know I would be upset. I know I would be distraught. And that's normal. Yeah. It would probably ruin my life for a little bit. But seeing all the progress I've already made and everything that I've already been through, it would give me hope that there's still light on the other side. I just have to, I would just have to look back at everything I've already been through and be like, okay, I can make it myself. You have survived a lot. Yeah, yeah, I I guess, I guess a little bit. I'm I'm being humble right now a little bit. (laughs) But as far as being there for my partner when it's hard to be there for yourself, Even when both Dan and I are experiencing bad mental health days, sometimes you just have to lay in bed and not even talk about anything and just... Just, like, soak it in. Like, let it happen Yeah, Yeah. Because you can't fight your way out of everything. You can't talk your way out of every feeling. Sometimes, you know, bad feelings are part of life. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's... It is complicated when you do have a mental illness because you don't... On one hand, you don't want to just accept that you're in this position and nothing's ever going to change. But also you have to recognize, yeah, I'm in this position and I'm going to feel this way sometimes and that's okay. Exactly. There's um, something with DBT, which is the therapy like for personality disorders. And I don't know what else um, it's therapy for, but they have you feel things and just watch the feelings. I forget the word that they use, but it's just observe your feelings feel it and then be done with it. Like just mentally throw it into like a trash can or, or something. It's let yourself have that time to feel those things, but don't let it weigh on you for too long. That's really great advice. It kind of reminds me of um, a meditation technique called noting when you're, you're meditating and sometimes you might find yourself distracted by feelings or thoughts. And I guess the whole practice of noting involves just acknowledging them and letting them go like yeah it it sounds kind of like that that I think that's exactly what it is just feeling the things and being like okay bye yeah like not everything has to have this huge impact on you but I used to feel every emotion would be like this huge issue this huge deal 
um, until I started actually putting that into practice. And now when something goes wrong or something bad happens, or even if I like feel a little tang of like insecurity, I'm like, this isn't forever. I'm going to feel this. And then in two hours, in three hours, in 24 hours, in a week, I'm not going to be worried about this. That's such an awesome skill to have. Because it, it's so helpful. Like, it's so important to be able to look at the big picture in that way. With that said, it can be really hard when you're so enmeshed in the emotions and you're feeling yeah. them so strongly. It's really, really hard to learn how to, like, take a step back. And I still, that's something that I absolutely still need to work on. I mean, I don't let them get as bad as before. But I'll spend a day in a mood and then I'm like, hey, wait a second. This isn't going to last forever. It, it takes me a little bit of time to get there and get that state of mind where I can push those feelings on to the next place. Yeah, for sure. Are there any ways that you and Dan are working on your mental health like together, like concretely? I mean, he has been eating vegan with me lately, and that's been a huge help for both of us. It definitely gives us something to think about. I mean, we try to exercise we try to spend one day where it's kind of like a self-care day. Yes. Uh, we'll clean the house. We'll organize our space. And then we just naturally feel better. We'll do things like, hey, let's let's give each other massages or let's just like sit on the couch and veg out. That's amazing. Or, yeah. So you have like yeah. a dedicated day. To Normally Friday. Things. Yeah, okay. we both have off on Fridays. So that's like the self-care day. We'll have a glass of wine, we'll take a bath, we'll talk about the entire week and how we feel. I mean, it's not super designated, like, this is what we're going to do today. It just kind of happens naturally. That's, that's perfect, though. Like, I think it's so important to carve out that time when you're in a relationship. Absolutely. He works as a chef and I work as a server and sometimes our schedules don't line up exactly. Like, I'll work a morning shift and he'll work a night shift. And we won't see each other, like, all day until we lay our heads down at night. Yeah. And it's hard to catch up. But having that day really solidifies our relationship. I mean, if we didn't have that day, it would be no big deal. I would miss well, it. Well, you say that, but <laughs> I think it adds up. Like, you really need to – I mean, even if – like, not everyone has a whole day, obviously. But even if you just – you know, have a meal together one day or call each other for an hour when you can, you know, like little things like yeah. that are so important. Yeah, absolutely. And like, if we didn't have that entire day, we would still make some, some moment where we could spend some time together. Absolutely. Do you have any parting advice for people who are in a relationship and they might be mentally ill? Like what's one thing that you would say you've learned from your experiences that you want to leave people with? If your partner can't be understanding or patient with you, they might not be the partner for you because you, you need to ha be on the same page in a relationship. For and that's sure. okay. And it sounds like a no-brainer, but honestly, that can be a really difficult pill to swallow. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when it's, you're younger, I feel like. And it's really, really hard to face that. It's hard to face this isn't the person for me. You can love them all you want, but that love isn't going to change who they are. Um, I mean, you can go to therapy with them. You can try to get them to change but if they're not receptive to who you are and they're not understanding of your struggles, then that's a huge red flag. Especially in my relationship, Dan didn't like being yelled at. Dan didn't like being screamed at and he didn't like the tears, but he stuck with it and he was understanding. And I don't know. No, seriously, you, you have to be with the person that makes you feel like your best self. My ex, for instance, he, he was very considerate towards my struggles, but I, I did try to change him into someone he wasn't. And in the end, we re both realized that, you know, we don't have to be in a romantic relationship. Like, this obviously isn't working, but we're still friends, and he's very important to me. But I think if anyone takes anything away, it's there's someone out there for you who will help you be your best self and who will understand what you're going through. And you shouldn't settle for anything less than that. Exactly. Because mental illness or not, you deserve the absolute best. And you, 
deserve to be treated with respect and understanding and love. Oh, yeah. If you're not being respected, forget that person. Exactly. Respect is, like, the bare minimum. Yes. (laughs) It's, like, step number one of a good relationship. I mean, yeah. I mean, with that said, though, it is... You get attached to someone, emotions come into play, and you start putting up with stuff you never thought you would. Yeah, especially if you have issues with your family, your mom, your dad, your sisters, your brothers, your friends, and that's how, that's what you understand love to be. You'll take anything. Because I grew up thinking love is this, love is that way, love is this, and that's why I was like attracted to these problematic people who, that's how they presented their love, was all kinds of just terrible things. And it's like, okay, I can forgive that because that's what love is. Yeah, that's what you're used to. That's all you've seen. Mm Mm-hmm. Besides being with Dan, what are some ways that you taught yourself what real love is? I first had to teach myself what real love isn't. Okay. Um, Especially with friends. I had to find friends that truly cared about my well-being, truly cared about me. And I think the first Um, step to doing that is, like, respecting yourself. Because that's a struggle in and of itself. Oh, absolutely. Like, you can't look for people who are going to treat you well if you don't believe that you deserve that. Yeah. So how are, like, how are mean, some ways that you've been able to love yourself and respect yourself over the years after being treated like shit for most of your life? I don't know if this is kind of dumb, but getting into interests and hobbies that I love and I can respect, and then I can step back and be like, wow, I did that and be proud of myself. That was like my first step. I started writing when I was, like, early 20s, and then the more I wrote, the more proud I was of myself, and then I got more into art, and the more I did my art, I got more proud of myself. That's so awesome. Um, and it, like, you. not that the whole point is to be attractive to another person, but I found that it, it's kind of like that negative cycle we were talking about earlier. This is, like, mm-hmm. the opposite of that. Like, if you start loving yourself and pursuing hobbies that make you happy it, it also makes you more attractive to someone else yeah because you're not this I, I don't want to say like a negative ball of person but like <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like who I was before I started getting into things and like finding interests that I loved I was very I don't know I was Just like one I want to say brooding like... yeah one-sided kind of I've always been on the artistic side mm-hmm. but I never immersed myself in it fully. It's it's also Um, hard when you do have a mental illness. Sometimes it keeps you from doing the things you love and it it makes you one-sided. Like, yeah, your identity becomes your mental illness. Like, that's one thing I've struggled with hugely in the past. And and this podcast has really helped me. Like, I've lost a lot of my hobbies over the years just because of that. And you're totally right. Like, it, it does make such a difference when you can step back and say, I did this. Like, go me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It It's like loving that inner child yes. inside and then being proud of that inner child, being like, yeah, you go. Like, you did awesome. You did this. Actually going to the gym really helped me a lot. Um, taking walks. I'm like, yeah, I got out of bed. Like, go me. Seriously. Just being your own cheerleader. Like, you have to do that. I totally agree. Like, some days all I can do is get out of bed and make my bed, and that's it. But, you know, yeah, it, but that's it helps, so awesome. It helps me feel like I've done something. Yeah. It's good to be proud of yourself. Yeah, just get up and brush your teeth, and you'll have done something. Yeah. Not sure if you could put that on your dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> I, what if there was, like, a Tinder for depressed people? That is a really good idea, right? actually. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, I think we've hit on a golden idea here. If, if, anyone, if anyone wants to help us make that happen, hit us up. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been such a good time. I've enjoyed myself. I really love talking to you. And I'm oh, really happy you. that you're in a good place now, that you're with someone who respects oh, you. Oh, thank and... you so much. Yeah, give, give Dan a hug from all of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, well, thank yeah. you so much. I it's all you, my pleasure. I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much. Oh, bye. Bye.